from 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading. Hey everybody, good morning. Good to see you. That's me. That's my name. Um, uh, I'm Chris Horn. Um, I am an RUF campus minister at Wake Forest University. Are there any deeks in the house today? No? Okay. Um, uh, I, before that, for a number of years, was a pastor at a church in Winston-Salem uh, called Redeemer. And before that, was an RUF campus minister at the Appalachian State University. I, there are, I think, some mountaineers in the in the in the room. Okay, um, it's good to be with y'all. I uh, bring love from my wife Sarah and our three girls, um, who honestly love our church too much to be bothered to go to another church um, whenever I'm around. But um, we had intended to be here all together because um, uh, Reuben and Rosie's daughter was being baptized, and uh, but they got sick. But I just want to say thank you to this church, uh, who I don't know, most of you. Um, but you have, um, I, when you work with students in that season of life, all that you want and hope for is that they actually want to be around the church um, later in life. And you guys have loved so many of our students really well. Um, and so thank you for that. The fact that they're here is pretty amazing. Uh, testament to God's grace. So um, thank you for that. Like for real, this is like a reunion for me. Like some of my favorite people in the world are sitting right here and over there and some are home with COVID. So um, thanks for letting me be here um, with you this morning um, as we read God's word. What occurred to me as I was listening to you read was that I talked about this passage at Rebecca and Seth's wedding, and 
at Rosie and Ruben's wedding. And um, so you've heard this one before, sermon. Uh, but let's, uh, would it be okay if I prayed and prayed for you guys? I know it's been a, uh, a long and weird season for your church. And so, um, yeah, I, I loved here and Sid deeply. And I know you guys probably miss them a lot and um, have been in a long period of waiting. So um, I'd love to pray for you. Father, um, we take a moment to simply stop and to rest in your presence. Father, Son, Spirit, um, you love us. Thank you for loving us and for inviting us into your love. Thank you that you are always near, that you're nearer to us even than our own soul, that you know us better than we know ourselves or anyone else knows us, and that you are always the same, that your love will never change toward us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done to give us new life. And Lord, I lift this church to you, your beloved one, and pray that you would um, draw each of these sisters and brothers close to you, that they wouldn't just know your goodness and your love, but that they would experience your presence deeply. Lord, would you encourage them in the ways that you have been at work through them? Um, Lord, I'm full of gratitude for them, um, for the, pa the place that they have provided and the opportunity to serve that they provided for those that I love deeply and prayed for for a long time and worried about a lot. And, Lord, you are good, and you're at work. And, Lord, your word has been read, and that is enough for us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be near us now, that you would draw our hearts close to you now as we just sort of unpack it together a little bit. Um, Lord, thank you for North Cross Church. Um, bless her and keep her and make your face to smile on her. Lord, we lift up the Vandevans to you, um, wishing that they were with us in a, in a community this size, it's obvious when people aren't here and we're not the same without them. And so we pray that you would bring healing to them and that you would have them to know, even as that they are away now, that they are missed, they are remembered, they are loved uh, deeply. And speak to us now, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, a few years ago, Right before COVID, in the before times, um, 
I had started working at, at Redeemer Church, and I got the opportunity to go with someone that I barely knew to India and uh, to a very, very remote area in India. Like you fly to, to Delhi and that takes like a lifetime. And then we rode a train for 12 hours and then we rode in a car for three hours, okay? So it was very remote place, uh, the kind of place that people, even people in India don't know about because it's next to Nepal and there's just a lot of people in India and a lot of places in India. And uh, it was a hospital, it's a Christian hospital and uh, for the poor. And I was there. The only Christians in this entire place are people that work at the hospital. Everyone else is uh, Hindu and Muslim, uh, exceedingly impoverished place, like beyond imagining. And this one day I'm there, and the, there was these women gathered, and there was probably about 30 of them. And some of them were Hindu, and some of them were Muslim women. They had all traveled from like 15, 20, 25 miles away to come to the hospital, and they come once a month. Um, some of them walked that whole distance. Some caught a ride on the back of a scooter. But they come there once a month because they all have HIV. And the hospital is able to provide the medication that prevents HIV from uh, developing into AIDS. And these women, even though they were different, um, they all had almost identical stories. So these women all had contracted HIV from their husbands. Uh, their husbands had gone to Mumbai to um, be trained to be taxi drivers in like Dubai and other more wealthy places. Um, and while they were there, they had visited um, the red light area and had gotten HIV and then had gotten very sick and had come home and uh, had given um, HIV to their wives. Now, each of them, their husband had died from AIDS. Um, so they all had that in common. They all had it in common that they had to come and get this medication. But even more than that, what they also had in common was that each of their mother-in-laws who functionally kind of ruled their life, some of, some of you guys know what that feels like, but not to that extent, um, each of their mother-in-laws had blamed them for their husband's death. Um, that they had somehow brought a curse onto their family. And so I'm sitting there, and of course they all speak Hindi, like nobody sp speaks English there. And um, they're sharing stories. And these are chances for these women to gather with people that are experiencing the same kind of profound suffering that they are. And their stories were um, wild. Because they would be like, what's, what's, ladies, what's something beautiful that's happened in the, since we met last month? And <laughs> they would say, like, my mother-in-law hasn't beaten me this week. Um, or I got to see my son, and I hadn't seen him for three years before this. And this just the degree of suffering that everyone was experiencing, but they had been taken away from their family, blamed, their children taken away, beaten. Uh, one woman was, was living um, literally in a hole that she dug in the ground. And uh, they were there for their medication. So I'm sitting there and profoundly just affected by this when the person working at the hospital says, 
Pastor, do you have a word for these ladies? And I was like, is, is no an option? Um, I, had, I mean, I had no idea. I mean, that was the moment, like, you're the, you're the pastor, and so you are supposed to then have the thing to say, right? Um, I was like, am I supposed to be doing, like, evangelism right now? Um, and in that moment, I was like, I don't know that I can look at these women with a straight face and say, God loves you. Um, I, as I like wrestled with, with that whole experience, I was like, literally the worst thing that could happen, like the only thing that, that could go even worse for these women would be if they converted to Christianity. Like that's the only thing that could make their life markedly worse. Because then they wouldn't even be sympathized with by strangers. Um, and I was like, can I tell them that God, that God loves them? And I didn't, I honestly didn't know. Um, and like, I don't know you, but I know that many of you are suffering. Um, many of you are going through seasons of life where it might not feel as acute as those women, but it might. Um, and can we actually sit in this space? Because it's funny, like you come to church and you get used to it and you sing songs about God, that God's loving and all this stuff. And it's like, but like if we stop and we decide to take it seriously, is that something that we can say to ourselves or say to others when they're suffering with a straight face? Hey, God loves you. Um, he wants beautiful things for you. Um, we have this passage before us as a way of dealing with that and wrestling with that. Um, the person that wrote this letter that we're reading from, his name is John, and he calls himself the, uh, uh, the disciple that Jesus loved, which is funny, you know. It's like, calling, it's like when a church calls itself the Christian church. We're like, well, they're all a Christian church. Um, uh, you know, Jesus loved all the disciples. But John was really into it. Um, if you've ever looked at the Leonardo's Last Supper painting, John is the one that's like laying on Jesus, right? Um, this is like a letter that someone's writing about their best friend or their spouse, just someone that the, their love is so tangible. And so the disciple that Jesus loved writes this, and he says here that God is love. Okay, um, I don't know which verse number it is because I didn't mark it, but it's in there. Um, where is it? Eight, eight, sixteen. All right, cool. All right, cool. Eight. We'll start with eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God doesn't. What John's saying is God is synonymous with love. He doesn't just do loving things. He doesn't just present himself in a loving way. He doesn't choose to take the path of love, but that God himself is love. Like there are many things that God does or has, but he's not synonymous with. Like God, uh, I heard one pastor say like, God is love, God is not wrath. If God was wrath, then we would know it. Um, but God is love. And the way that he 
manifests this to us in verse 9, the way that he makes this clear to us, the way that he makes it known to us, is that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. For Valentine's Day, I bought my wife earplugs. Um, They're very fashionable looking, but what they do is they take the overall ambient volume and reduce it by 40%. Because I want her also to be love and not be wrath. Um, Which the world is an overwhelming place, especially when you have children. And that was how I manifested my love for my wife, was I bought her earplugs. That was the gift that I had for her. If you think about God, he is invisible. Because the fact that anything is visible is part of something that God created. This is weird to think about. God created the idea that you could see something. Um, But God is, is visible. How can we begin to know or begin to take seriously or be able to say with a straight face to ourselves that God is love? John says the way he made that manifest, the way he made that clear, the way he made that obvious is that he sent Jesus into the world so that we might live through him, that he became a human being. Now, in, in, in the original language, John's making a big point that, that Jesus is God's only son. Like the only thing that God could, like there's nothing that God could give that would be more precious to him to manifest to us that he loves us and that he sent his son. Now, when I was with the, the ladies in Utrala in India, and they said, Pastor, do you have a word? And I was like, no, I don't. All I could think about was Jesus when he was walking through a town, and there was a huge crowd around him. And there was a woman who had, had experienced menstrual bleeding for 12 years. It didn't stop. And how she had come to him in the crowd, and she was an untouchable person. She was ceremonially unclean. And how she had touched Jesus. And immediately on touching his garment, felt that her body was healed and that the the bleeding had stopped. And it's funny, I'm telling this story to these ladies. Like, if I was to to preach that passage, I'd be like, okay, here's a lot of context. Here's what's going on. Like, there was no need for context for these ladies. I was like, this person is, uh, is suffering and can't stop bleeding, and there's nothing she can do about it. And she spent all her money, and it didn't get any better. In fact, she got worse, and she was even more poor. And these ladies were like, that's me. Um, here for my HIV medication. And, and I was like, you know, I, get, I was like, she touched him and she got better. Um, Jesus, as a gift of God, was touched by people. Like Jesus hugged people. People came and they either cried on his feet and dried them with their hair or they hit him with their fists. Um, He came to us. The love of God is manifested to us, not that we move toward God, not that we love God, but that he loved us. People carried Jesus' dead body in their hands. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Actually, what Jesus came to do was to pay for our lack of love. But more just than God giving us the gift of Jesus in order to pay for our sin, as John goes farther than that, he says in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Uh, Again, this is one of those things that sounds normal to church, um, but try to let it not sound normal if you're used to being at church. Um, A lot of times you, you can give someone a gift and tell them that you love them, and then you go back to your life. Like what God has done is that God has come near to us to make his home with human beings, to abide with us. He actually likes you so much that he doesn't just want to save you. He wants to be with you all the time, to abide in you. Um, And you might know yourself well enough to know that you are a hard person to live with a lot of the time. But God has come and he said that he's made himself nearer to us than our own souls. God loves to be with us, to be near us. That's how he shows his love to us, is that he gives us of his spirit so that whoever uh, abides in love abides in God and God abides in them. Um, I love Whitney Houston um, while we're on it. And um, uh, you guys know that song, How Will I Know by Whitney Houston? How will I know? That one? Okay. If he really loves me, that one, um, let's go. All right. Um, I say a prayer with every heartbeat. Okay. Um, by the way, not related to this sermon, but if you go on Spotify and you find that original Whitney record, there's a bonus track, which is just the vocal of that song without any of the music. And it it will shake you and change you forever. Because the, the raw power that just, it just comes from God to, for someone to be able to sing like that. But anyway, um, how, how will we, like, how, how do you know if someone really loves you? How does it become obvious to you? Uh, my wife, who's not here today, but whenever Rosie's baby gets baptized, if I get invited back, she will be here because she will not miss that. Um, when we were engaged, I ha- uh, had this moment where I was like, I probably should tell her everything that she might be dismayed to find out after we got married. And, uh, and it was a lot. And I kind of told her all this stuff, and I was like, now's the time to hit unsubscribe, my friend, <laughs> um, before you're locked into these marketing emails for the rest of your life. And she almost, she almost did. She almost did, um, but then she decided, um, yeah, she decided to stay near anyway. Um, and now, and what I've seen for the last 15 years is I, I can tell myself that she doesn't love me, but I can't believe myself that she doesn't love me because I've seen too much. Every day that you're married, 
Like, it doesn't feel like a choice to come home, but it is a choice to come home. You make that choice every day. Um, when I was in college, uh, so when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody whose parents were married. It was just not, in my community, people's parents weren't married. In my community, it was a lot of women who had been really profoundly hurt by men. And uh, so I didn't know anyone that was still married. And, but I, came, I became a Christian in college, and one of my friends, his parents lived in our town, and they would let me come over on Sundays to do my laundry and eat lunch with them. And they could cook, boy, they could cook, all right? In Statesboro, Georgia, they can cook. And um, so I'm sitting there eating my good chicken, whatever they had fixed. And I remember, like it was yesterday, sitting at their table, and I could see into the kitchen, and the mom and dad were hugging. And I was like, what are they doing? Um, I thought maybe, like, they were being filmed for a documentary, um, <laughs> but they weren't. They were just, like, had this moment in the kitchen where they were, like, laughing together and, like, kind of hugging. You know how people will hug and they kind of talk to each other and it's sweet? And I was like, people can, like, love each other and be married. Like, it became real to me and not just, like, an idea or something from a book. Um, I had this friend, Hanan. Um, she's from Syria. Her husband um, was killed, and she has four kids. They were in a refugee camp in Turkey for eight years, and now they live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, of all the places to be a refugee resettled. And um, where they're from, they're from Aleppo, but you guys remember there was pretty bad earthquakes there like a month ago? So their town was basically destroyed by ISIS, and then just got redestroyed by an earthquake. Her husband was murdered. She's had experienced profound suffering. And on the day after that earthquake, she texted me at 9 p.m. And my Arabic is worse than her English. So texting is very fraught with miscommunication. But she was like, come to my house, please obey. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, her son, we give her son Yasir a ride to school anyway. Um, she had made probably like eight pounds worth of meat pies for my family. And she was just like, I love you, thank you, you know. Like, she has suffered profoundly, and she was making her love for me and my family manifest. And I couldn't deny that it was real because of the gift. Now, I say all that, like, John doesn't just say we know that God loves us even when we didn't love him because of Jesus. He takes it a little bit farther and says some, some other things about our love for one another. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we want love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then you go down verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What he's saying is this. You may come to believe that God loves you and that the gift of Jesus is real for you and begin to come to grips with that fact to be able to say it to yourself with a straight face, but you will never actually deeply and meaningfully believe it 
unless you love other people. Like he makes the point that no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, his love is perfected in us. Here's what that means. And I know you're in like this season as a church. You get to help other people figure out whether God's love is real. Like that's what you get to do. Um, That God has made it so that our love for God and our love for people are yoked together like two oxen pulling a cart. That they can't both go, like one can't go while the other doesn't go with it. That they pull together, that they expand together, so that when we're like, I'm struggling deeply to understand that God loves me, in a sense, God is calling us out of that and saying, do you want it to seem real? Do you want it to be obvious? Do you want it to exist in the real world? then go with someone else. Now, since y'all are in church, um, what we usually think that that means is that we will say, yes, and I will become very good. And everyone will know, because all my struggles are in the past, that God loves them. Um, And I'm just not certain that it works that way. Paul has this little line in 2 Corinthians where he says, God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort anyone who is suffering. Um, Hanan, my friend, is suffering. And she moved toward me in her suffering. Um, and that was when I began to understand that she really did, like, love and appreciate my family. Like, when I told my wife of all this stuff, like, it was a moment of suffering for her because it felt like betrayal to her. And when she chose to respond in love, it felt real. You get to help other people figure out whether God loves them and whether God's love is, is real or is true. And there are these times in our life, like, that all of, like, the fake, superficial stuff seems to go away. And we really want to know the answer to that question. We really want to know whether God loves us or not. He makes this point. I won't belabor this because I've kind of been going long enough already. He says, perfect lo- there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. What God is doing is God is making us day by day less afraid to move toward him. That we know that we don't have to be afraid of him and that we can move toward him as he has moved toward us. And also what he is doing is he's making us less afraid to move toward other people. Um, I have a friend, a friend in Winston and her husband was one of our pastors at our church. And in July of 21, uh, he died um, by suicide. And the last 18 months with her, as she has been profoundly suffering, 
Like, she needs to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God loves her and it's either real or it's not. He's either really like this or he's not. And she has, like, being in her presence and experiencing her struggle and her love and her coming to grips with that has been the most profoundly affecting um, moment for me to actually dis to figure out whether God's love is real or not. Um, so I, gu I guess the word for you as we bring this down is to not be afraid. Um, uh, Jonathan and Rebecca um, know that I love Frozen. And they've heard many times, I could teach a seminary level curriculum on, not on the Bible, but on Frozen. I think it might be the most valuable piece of Christian education of the last century, but I digress. Um, if you've seen the movie, uh, there's this character named Elsa, and she has a power to make ice and snow, but she's very afraid of it because she knows how powerful it is. And when she's a child, when she uses it, she hurts her sister. And she, like, freezes her brain. And so the way that she tries to deal with her power is that she conceals, conceal, don't feel, put on a show, right? Make one wrong move and everyone will know. And so she isolates herself from her sister. She hurt her sister, and she isolates herself from her sister. Now, later in the movie, she um, gets tired of that, realizes that it's not working for her, and so she lets it go, as the song says. And she embraces her power. This is just who I am. I don't have to try and control it at all. I'll just give myself to it, with the net result that she hurts her sister and isolates herself from her sister, hurts the people that she loves. And, but this time she actually hurts her sister's heart and freezes her sister's heart, okay? Sorry if you guys have seen Frozen, just, just in case you haven't. And throughout the movie, there is this refrain that an act of true love is the only thing that can melt a frozen heart. Now they set you up, and this is why Frozen's great. They set you up to think that the act of true love is getting kissed by a man. Because we all know that nothing says it's an act of true love like getting kissed by a man. <laughs> if you've ever known a man, nothing says someone really loves you than a man wants to kiss you. Um, turns out that the act of true love for, for Anna actually isn't even receiving anything. The act of true love that's able to melt her frozen heart is when she gives of herself to protect her sister who has hurt her routinely and isolated herself from her routinely to hurt her to protect her sister from the man that she thought she was going to get true love kissed from it's in that act not that elsa or hans loved her but that she loved them that not only is her own heart thawed but her sister learns the way of love she can actually manage her power and be close to her sister. Um, 
you don't have to be afraid of people. I know a lot of college-age guys, and they think when they meet a girl and they feel feelings, they become very afraid, as they should be, because they are dealing with uh, another who has immensely more power than than they do and is immensely more wise and mysterious than they are, okay? But they become afraid that they are going to sin against themselves or against this person or something. And so what they do is they move away from them. They diminish them. They treat them like something that may tempt them or something that they may hurt. Um, and my encouragement to them is always, how about instead of moving away, you actually move closer to that person and find out actually that there are many things that make them beautiful and wonderful and powerful and mysterious, that they are a whole person. And that I can guarantee that the more you see them and love them and appreciate them, the less likely you will be to sin against them. The more that you move away from them and diminish them and live in fear, the more likely you are to sin against them. Um, yeah, you get to help people figure out whether God loves them. Um, I'll end that there. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you like to be near to us. Um, we pray that you would draw us near to others that can help us know that you are real and that your love is real. Lord, you are, you are with us right now and you are hearing us right now. And just as clearly as these people are able to hear my voice, you are able to hear the whisperings of our heart. And Lord, I pray that you would, um, that you would whisper to that we might be liberated from ourself and set free to love and to experience your love. Um, work in us as we sing this song.